0: It's not just our tech enabled world that runs by algorithm. Us meat machines, us humans, we one and all have our own programming, our deeply embedded rules that determine the decisions we make, the paths we walk, and who and how we show up in the world. Now, often the first path of growth and development is figuring out what our rules are, finding language for our own programming. The second part of growth and development is often unbugging the program and rewriting the maxims so you become the person you want to be rather than the person you once were. Now, here are three rules, three algorithms, three maxims that I bet you haven't considered, at least not fully. Number one, don't wait until you know who you are to get started. Don't wait until you know who you are to get started. Number two, learn to take a punch. And number three, the ordinary plus extra attention equals the extraordinary. Now, each one of those is from a different Austin Cleon book. Don't wait until you know who you are to get started. That's number two from his breakout hit, Steal Like an Artist. Learn to take a punch is number eight from Show Your Work. And the ordinary plus extra attention equals the extraordinary is number five in the third book of the trilogy, Keep Going. Now, I had 30 Austin Cleon rules to pick from. Each book has 10 maxims, but I picked these three for you because I know one of them was just what you needed to hear. And of course, I'm curious which one it was that really struck the chord for you. The rule I like, creativity is subtraction. That's from Steel like an Artist, and you know, I cunningly removed it. I subtracted it from the list of three that I offered you earlier on. Welcome to Two Pages with MBS, the podcast where brilliant people read the best two pages from a favorite book, a book that has moved them, a book that has shaped them. Now this is the first episode back after a bit of a redesign. Now the episodes stay the same. Brilliant people, two pages, deep conversation. But as you may know, now they'll come every two weeks. What's new is that there's a Substack newsletter, two pages with the word T-W-O, two pages with mbs.substack.com for my short essay and to get notice of a new episode every two weeks. Members also get access to transcripts and the occasional MBS solo episode where I read and discuss two pages from books that have moved and shaped me. There's also a dedicated YouTube channel. Now, each episode, like this one with Austin, will have two clips on the YouTube channel, one of the whole pod and one just of the guest reading the two pages. Now, all the links for all of this are in the show notes. And, of course, I just want to say thank you again for your ongoing support and encouragement, reviews, nice notes, nice emails, all of that. I really do appreciate it. So now, on with the pod. I love all of Austin Kleon's books. In fact, when I start writing a book, one of my books, in the very first moments when I'm imagining the shape and the feel and the, the vibe, I go to Austin's work and ask myself, WWAD, what would Austin do? His books are short, wise, beautiful, artistic, and unique. Also, and this is part of their genius, it's almost impossible not to finish reading them once you've started
1: one of my favorite cartoonists is Ernie Bushmiller, who did um, Nancy. And he famously said, you know, I want Nancy to be easier to read than to not read. <laughs> and that's like what I go for from my books. I like, I want it to be easier to just keep reading than to not read. It.
0: That sounds so simple. And yet it's so hard to pull off. That's one reason why I write short books. I mean, my design philosophy is what's the least I can teach that would still be useful. Now, in my early days, I flirted with the dark side of obfuscation, law and academia.
1: It's much easier to obfuscate and you know, that's what academics know, that that kind of writing is actually easier. It's easier to be thick and kind of like long-winded, you know. It's much harder to like hone down And get to the real nitty gritty and be brief.
0: But honing and editing, chipping away, removing the excess, that doesn't necessarily mean terse or capital S serious. Indeed, I hope that one of the things that my work shares with Austin's is a lightness of touch and a sense of humor, of making light of things that are actually serious. But that presents its own challenges.
1: That's something I've really grappled with as a writer as a thinker as a student is this idea that uh light comedic things aren't serious right. they're very serious like Mike. when i was younger i felt like i had 3 choices when i was younger and they all turned out to be the wrong choice that i made <laughs> so so let me walk you through these yeah yeah first the first choice was pictures versus words right i thought that words were more serious so i picked those yeah um and then um uh, poetry versus fiction right. was another one um when i was taking creative writing workshops it seemed like fiction was more serious than poetry mm. yeah. so i was like oh i'll throw myself into fiction and finally the third one was tragedy versus comedy right um do you uh, you know the tragedy is more serious than the comedy right and i made those three terrible choices in college in particular i picked (laughs) words over pictures right uh i picked fiction over poetry and i picked tragedy over comedy and that i literally studied tragedy when i did a little stint in cambridge yeah and um it was only when i got out of college and i threw all that stuff out that Thank I realized you. that actually my natural voice and inclination was the exact opposite of what I thought was serious. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not like, and now of course, what's interesting is that I see those as like kind of tensions that I like to navigate right. in my work. So like pictures and words, it's like well they have to be together for me.
0: That's exactly. when the work
1: really works. I'm it's like, the, was, it's,
0: the, it's the dance. It's like yeah. why, why you have the you have the fool and you have King Lear exactly and the fall is what creates some of the light that allows the weight of king lear to kind of land
1: and this yeah and that's like with my books i try to keep a comedic voice but talk about very serious things i mean like i i always try to err on the side of lightness and comedy right in the in in brevity and tightness and then um yeah, and as far as fiction and poetry, I mean, you know, I make poems now. So it's like, yeah. you know, duh. And I have no aptitude um, for inventing worlds or um, inventing character. I, I don't think that way. And it takes a very special brain. Yeah. And it, it takes a special mind that wants to be in another world yeah. for that long. Like for me, I don't really want to. I love being in other worlds, worlds that people have created for me. me too. Yeah. Um, but I don't really want to invent another, this world is enough for me for whatever <laughs> reason. You yeah. know, I just like chopping it up and like, yeah. you know, so, um, yeah, those were like the big, um, those are like the big choices as a young writer. And I just think it's great that I picked the wrong thing right away. <laughs> you right. know, <laughs> um, where,
0: where are there, where are there trace elements of those three earlier choices in how you show up now?
1: Oh, Well, that's a great question, Um, which is really just a placeholder for like, I'm going to have to think about that. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Um, Well, I think the pictures and words thing is all over the work. That's true. I mean, absolutely all over the work. I will say that I call myself a writer who draws. And the reason I do that is because I do think I think primarily like a writer. I think Mm. I'm more of a writer than an artist or, you know, a painter or something. I think that I think in terms of uh, language is a big deal to me. And I think of pictures as a kind, like a lot of the things I do is picture writing, you know, that, and that comes from my studying of comics, which, you know, people think that comics is illustration mixed with fiction. It's actually not. It's more like graphic design and poetry. Like when you really get down to it, you're pushing, shapes around on a page and yeah. you're trying to be really precise with language at the same time so and it's, that
0: famous um that famous insight from um what's his name scott um how comics work scott mcleod scott mcleod which is yeah, like you know, it's, it's the gaps it's the gaps in between the, the three panels yes which is where where the world's happening and I'm yeah like, that's magical for me that's poetry as well
1: absolutely and um Art Spiegelman says that you know he likes to think of um, haiku. Like a, right. a, a four comic. It's interesting. Like if you look at Peanuts, I forget who made that. I think it was the cartoonist Seth who made this argument. Yeah. He said, if you look at Peanuts, there's always like it almost has the structure of a haiku. If you think about the third panel as the breath before the punchline. Mm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's kind of like um, so that's always really appealed to me. Um, but comics just is something that i just that's a form that i just it's kind of strange i've never actually attempted any comics of my own because right. the the comics i actually draw are in my diary i that's right. um i i draw my family as cartoons yeah. in my I diary do. a lot and i got that from studying people like um james kochalka who um is someone i started reading when i was very young and he has these things called um Uh, His strip is called American Elf and it ran for like 15 years and it was his sketchbook diaries and he still does them now. He just like they're not public. He has like a Patreon and he does them privately now. Um, But that I think that there's something about the comics format that allows you to capture the moments of family life in like a right. really beautiful way. Cause a lot of times like moments in family life is like very mundane. And then there are these kind of moments <laughs> of brilliance, like just these right. kind of pops, especially with little kids. Cause a lot of your day is just like, Oh, you know, <laughs> and then they just do something like really brilliant <laughs> and yeah. amazing. Yeah. And so the comic strip format is really good at that because it right. can capture just like, Little moments. So um, I use comics as a tool. I feel really blessed to have studied comics so much because now it's like a really easy tool for me to capture right. those moments with my kids. So that's that's in the work. Um, fiction versus poetry. I mean, you know, the poetry is it's weird because my first book was this book called Newspaper Blackout. That's right. And it's this weird book you know collection of poetry that looks like if the cia did haiku uh it's like it <laughs> a takes particularly the,
0: aggressive it, cia we've yeah, redacted it's, everything it's, except everything for some but of like yeah. a
1: few yeah. words and yeah. and um and that book came out in 2010, um, although I was working on it in 2008. It's one of those publishing stories where, like, yeah. the book got pushed back several years, as did my career. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, it's like, um, so, yeah, Newspaper Blackout is, like, this weird, very strange book. I'm amazed it's still in print, and like, um, it, but it it's for people who are, are listening, it's, it's, I take articles from the New York times yeah. and I just take a Sharpie marker and I black out most of the words. And like, I leave a few words behind, you you know, people yeah. immediately get it. It's like a really fun format. Um, so, but that was like um, when I realized like I have a poets, I really am obsessed with sentences and I love pushing words around. I could just yeah. spend all day. I wanted to show you actually, um, <laughs> I got one of these uh, stamps oh, that yeah, you yeah. can that you oh, can make your own like stamps. Yeah. Oh,
0: that's good.
1: And I spent probably so
0: for people listening, um, you know the signs you see the big illuminated signs where people kind of slide the letters in. So it's, yes. you know, it kind of says, "Hey, it's you know in front of a church or in front of a big mall or something." Going, you know, the barber is in or you know Jesus is visiting <laughs> right. <all> next week. <laughs> but what Austin's showing is one of those little um, punch stamps that you often do with dates. Um, which I know is something that you do as well, but, but, but a similar idea. So you can create your own little messages on a, on an ink stamp.
1: Right. So I was played all day with like, what messages would fit on this little stamp? <laughs> right. What do I want to say? I, I got this cause I, um, I wanted to just make some stationery. I wanted to be able to stamp my, my address really easily, right. but then I got to thinking, Oh, it'd be fun to like have little messages right. to like, that you could stamp on pieces of mail And then I was like, well, what would my messages be? You know, so I was like (laughs) playing around and it's like it comes with the set comes with these like little tiny rubber letters and Mm. like little tweezers. And I was like moving and like I ran out of letters for certain words so i had to like okay well what other words can i use and and it was i I caught myself at this moment of geekery (laughs) just being like this is you activate this is literally what you could spend the rest of your life doing just like these little like what what little phrases there's something about my brain that just like loves this like let's see this the constraint of that and it so that was just that's like a very concrete example of just how like my I just love playing with words and I love like, just like I've gotten very into um, I've really, I've gotten really into like um, I, I, one of the great uh, disappointments of my life is that I haven't learned a a language like Mm -hmm. other than English. And, but I'm very into etymology. I always look up the etymology of right. words now and I like think about spelling, like why words are. So, you know, that language is just something that's like a real passion of mine. And yeah. That's why you know, I say books with pictures art with words that's like one of my taglines that's something i put on a stamp you know Uh, and so um and and yeah so so like uh so that's there and then the tragedy versus comedy yeah where's um,
0: the the trace element of tragedy because your books are light and they have humor but they have weight and they have yeah. resonance as well.
1: Well, I mean, one of the things I realized from studying comedians is that like a lot of comedians are deeply depressive people. Mm-hmm. They're like, they're they're borderline. I mean, almost all of I mean, so many of them have substance right. abuse issues, trauma, um, uh, you know, same there's... same
0: with podcast hosts.
1: <laughs> yeah, same with all of us. <laughs> um, but you know, it's like uh comedy comes out of sadness is right. what is so amazing to me comedy does not come out of uh a life that is easy and no. fun comedy comes out of struggle and it comes out of sadness and it comes mm. out of the situations we find our in it's a survival mechanism
0: right right
1: and i actually read this book that i'm trying to figure out how to work into my next book um or I think it will influence it somehow, which is called The Comedy of Survival. It's by this right. guy named Joseph Meeker. And what he attempts to do is very strange. He tries to merge his feelings about ecology mm. um, with his ideas about comedy. And if I could summarize it very quickly for you, it's that tragedy is a form in which an individual... Right, right. Like, tries to struggle against something and they have some sort of weakness that is their undoing. Yeah. A fatal and there's, fall. yeah, there's a fatal flaw and they die at the end. There's blood right. at the end of tragedy. Mm-hmm. Comedy is mostly about people that are kind of connected or they're like in Ooh. a group or they're the lower form of group or, or whatever. And they bumble around. And at but, the yeah. end, they just kind of like.
0: Half of them get married.
1: Yeah. It's a and classic at the Shakespeare end,
0: act. Everybody yeah, gets married. You and at know the end, a...
1: everyone gets married. Yeah, yeah. So instead of blood in tragedy, <laughs> there's drink at the right, end. Right. Right. Well, what Meeker says is that comedy is really. And this just blows my mind. I love it. Is that Meeker says that comedy, for, for a thousand years, tragedy was the model for Western civilization. That mm. was what we upheld. That is what we held serious. Right. Right. And his point is that. We need to look to comedy for survival because the only way we will actually survive is to do that kind of bumbling, that connectedness, that like togetherness, that that finding our web, finding our seniors, finding our like our our network of people, our ecology, right? Finding finding a way to, to, to exist together. And that has been profoundly, profoundly influential on me in all of my work since I read it. I was already kind of on that track, yeah. especially with my book, Show Your Work, because I was writing about this idea of genius that Brian Eno talks about, which is genius is kind of the collective form of genius. It's when yeah. a bunch of minds connected to other minds come up yeah. with really great work. Um, so I was kind of like already on that track anyway, but the Meeker book just like blew my mind because it was really an example of how yeah. like, okay, one of these things I've struggled with, uh, you know, my whole adult life, like here is here's why the work that you're doing, it was both validation, but it was also another model for me. So, for right. example, um, I in the family, um, like with my family, one of my mantras is pretend it's a comedy, you know, <laughs> pretend you're pretend it's a sitcom, you right. know, <laughs> because, like like you know, don't be don't think too much of like, cause the tragic model is, yeah. is very similar to like the, um, Alison Gopnik has this book called the, uh, the, uh, the Gardener and the Carpenter, I think, which is a parenting book. And her whole thing is that a, a carpenter like uh, will take a piece of wood and like shape it into something. Right. And a gardener kind of grows things. I think it's very unfair to carpenters right. because uh, I don't necessarily love the metaphor because I think good carpenters find a great piece of wood and then the wood tells yeah, them what it wants exactly, to be. Exactly. Um, so I think it's more like the factory in the garden, right? right? A factory yeah. like stamps out. But if you think about that tragic model of like yeah. – you know, raging against things other than letting things grow. So I see this deep connection between gardening and comedy in a sense. And that's what I try to do in the house is I try to approach parenting and my artwork. Now you can tell why I'm working out. (laughs) Uh, I try to approach it more like a gardener, a light, comedic spirit like yeah like i think it's funny that like in being there the the main character's name is is gardener right know, that's Chauncey right Gardner, the movie, this idea yeah. that you would just kind of move through let things grow and so yeah like this idea of comedy gardening these have been profoundly yeah um these have shaped my work profoundly in the past couple of years but but that's how those three things have yeah. kind of like come together um and i don't want to like um I don't want to unnaturally segue, but the writer I'm going to read, the 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 writer who draws that I'm going to read <laughs> later today, those things are very profoundly right. present in her work.
0: Building on something, I, I'm, I'm keen to get to the two pages, but I want to ask you a question before we go there, which is, um, you know, if comedy is bumbling together and which I love (laughs) a fantastic (laughs) definition and it's really obvious just in our conversation so far, what a rich intellectual community you have. Like you've referenced about 97 books and artists (laughs) and writers and thinkers so far. Right. I'm I'm wondering how you garden your community, how you find it, how you nurture it, how you give it love, how you discover it.
1: Well, one of the things I really struggle with, with our profession, um, this whatever it is that we do.
0: (laughs) Yeah, whatever that is. Well,
1: what I do, whatever it is, uh, I struggle with loneliness a lot. Mm. Um, And I think a lot of people struggle with loneliness in this culture. One of the things that occurred to me at a very young age, um, I grew up in the middle of a cornfield in Ohio, literally. And I just knew that there was a world out there that cared about the same things that I did. I just had to figure out how to get there. Right. Um, So I assumed in my young life it would be just getting the hell out of town um, and getting somewhere, going to New York City, going to Chicago, like whatever. As I got older, I realized this thing called the web came around. <laughs> and um, you know, the web, yeah. dial-up came into my life about high school, you right. know. Uh maybe late high school actually or mid middle high school. And um dial-up at our house uh came with a little bit of web space. And I just immediately realized, "Oh my god, you can be whoever you want on this thing." And yeah. you just give people your address and Anything you want to be, you can just present yourself that way on this thing and you can be someone else, you know, that just like occurred to me like very early on. Right. And it also, I'm somebody who always liked to do a lot of different things. Yeah. Um you know, when I heard the term renaissance man, I was just like, when I was a kid, C'est I was moi. just like, oh <laughs> my God, you know, there's a exactly. word for this. Yeah, I want exactly. to make pictures. I want to make music. I want to write books. Like, oh my God. Like, when I See, saw the me, back. Of- like,
0: I, want, I want to wear silk stockings and a lace ruff. <laughs> right. Yes. That's what I was hoping it would mean. But Play also doing other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: but no, I like, like one of the foundational texts I would say for me is not one of Shel Silverstein's books, mm. but the back of a shell silverstein book i right. think it's where the sidewalk ends oh yeah where Classic. he's sitting there with his crazy bald head and i love shell silverstein you can't tell what race he is like right. i when i was a kid i was like i don't know what this, <laughs> this guy's like an alien or something <laughs> and it said like it said like shell silverstein uh writes books plays guitar and sings and writes songs and has a good time or something like that. It's something <laughs> right. very, and I was like, that's it. Oh. I didn't even care about Shell Silverstein that much. I just was like, yeah. this dude does, he draws, he writes, he plays music. Like yeah. I want to be this He's guy, figured it out. you yeah. know, this guy's figured something out. Right. And then I found out how truly interesting he was later on. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, that to me was like, Oh, so, so the web was this way of, I was like, Oh, I can take all these things I'm interested in. Yeah. And like, create some sort of webs, you know, like, web. so I, lo- I really wish I could dig up some of the, I probably could through like, um, the problem was I always used images on my site and, uh, Wayback machines, not very good at getting the right, images. That's right. Um, but, uh, but that was the other thing, pictures and words, right? Yeah. I was like, yeah. Oh, great. You can. And I immediately realized with the web, Hey, if you draw your own pictures and put them online, that immediately makes your website different than any other website. Right. So that like occurred to me right away. But to answer your question that I'm getting leading up to, it occurred to me that I can meet the people I wanted to meet through this medium. Like, and I don't know for sure whether that was like, that wasn't quite ready for me in high school, but it occurred to me right after college. College was about like, I met my crew. I met my good buddies. We were a bunch of like, we you know we saw ourselves as hard drinking intellectuals, hard
0: drawing, hard drinking, <laughs> hard drinking
1: mostly intellectuals, and like you know that was like so. But then when I got out of college, I immediately realized that a blog was the way that mm. was that was how I was going to do what I wanted to yeah. do. Immediately, I realized that, and and so my community, weirdly, has always been like I mean the people that I hold closely in my life. People who come into the studio like like when you were here not long yes. ago, these are people that came to my life through this digital medium.
0: Yeah. You yeah. know,
1: I'm sure I bump into people around town, but primarily, um, you know, it's been my work on yeah. this weird machine up in the cloud, you know, the yes. web has really been the thing that has brought people into my org.
0: It's interesting. It's like your lighthouse. You are like yeah. this is, this is my light yeah. and this is what I stand for. I've always and- Some people choose to navigate by that.
1: Yeah, I've always thought of it as like a satellite or something. Like you know, it's my own little planet that people can like pop in, and then they can, or a satellite, and then they can come visit me on my planet or something. I don't know. (laughs) I've always liked that kind of like universe thing, but like that's the so now it's very difficult. Uh, Like I would say, I'm always someone who. You have to understand in in spirit I'm very much in favor of the collective and yeah. but I'm also deeply misanthropic. This is something yeah. people probably don't know about me. Um because my books are so like kind of upbeat and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, it, like the voice in my books is like the nicest kindest version of me. Kind of like a comedian. In real life mm. I'm I'm deeply pessimistic. I'm very misanthropic. Like I I I'm married to like the queen of introverts, which has made me more introverted. (laughs) Right, right. Uh, I have kids, which means like I'm home a lot. So like Mm. I struggle a lot with community. So I would say like my real communities are like people I interface with online. Uh, My newsletter community is incredible. I talk to those folks every week. Um, That's been uh, way... And
0: everybody who's listening who hasn't yet signed up for Austin's newsletter... I've Subscribed since way back when. Uh, you should get the paid subscription to his sub stack because you get some bonuses there, which are uh, wonderful. So, just a plug for Thank your news that are being absolutely terrific.
1: Um, yeah, and when I started my sub stack, I kind of was like, eh, you know, community that's like an uh, I don't know about that, yeah, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah. But that's turned out to be the biggest selling point for me, yeah, not just for other people. I'm like, these are like just the nicest, kindest, and it's funny because. I should have known that because the signing line at one of my book events is the sweetest group of people. So good, isn't it? They're so nice. And they've made friendship. Like people make friends in line. They're just the nicest people. Yeah. And at one point in the tour, like on the keep going tour, we had a baby that started crying. And I said, by the way, if anyone has kid? i want the kids here, bring your kids like i i made a point yeah. at a certain point like bring your kids i don't care like mine or home you, you know like it's it's just very so people have started showing like i remember i mean this makes me a little wistful because i haven't been on book tour in so long but like um people would show up in multiple generations like yeah. i i've seen like you know moms and daughters show up oh. uh, like grown yeah. women who are like Oh, she sends me, and then we talk about our favorite things. Oh. You know, just these really sweet yeah, yeah, things. Yeah. So, so there's that. But I will say that my real crew these days. I'm a guy who likes to have a gang. Yeah, like I was the, and I was the. Um, it's funny that there's a movie called Napoleon out because my nickname was napoleon in college really? because i was the leader of of our yeah. little but yeah. i'm short so it's like they called me <laughs> Na, you know napoleon i like having a gang i i like being right. part of a gang so to me that's um that's my family like yeah. uh, i feel like my family is like a little gang you know yeah. we're we're like a we're like the prototypical like nuclear family it's like two kids two parents like you yeah. know it's like the fab four beetle whatever you know like before my
0: my wife a little bit who would also say that she's delightful and she's also misanthropic (laughs) and and her 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 term which i love is she's like i have a very small a list and i don't have a b list (laughs)
1: I can't wait to meet your wife one so day. So it's life.
0: like you make it onto Marcella's A list, and you're like, yes. "You are, you have," oh. and, and she is so good. She's like, when, if you have her as a friend, you are oh. lucky because she's one of the great yeah. friends of all time. But she just, she's like, I'm, I'm really clear. I don't like that many we, <laughs> people, but the people I like, I really like.
1: <laughs> we talked about this. My wife's the same way. It's like, oh my god, if she, if you if if you if she's your friend, I mean, yeah. she is the best friend. <laughs> but my god, don't cross her. <laughs> right. I don't know if also, that's the that Irish Italian or yeah, yeah, what. Yeah. But but um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's true. But it's also, I mean, like the great, um you know being in love with an introvert and being you know we've been together for 20 years now and one of the great joys of my life is watching people warm up to right her because i'm always telling people i'm like i'm not the person you should be interested <laughs> right, in in exactly. the family <laughs> no, no. like i'm i'm telling you and i and, it, and it's funny because um when i meet people uh when i meet I mean, not famous, just whoever I mean. Yeah. I always want to talk to their spouses because right. I always assume that the spouse is probably more interesting <laughs> than, the, in than the, than the sociopath true. that right. wants to be famous, basically. Whoever, I feel very
0: seen. I feel very sane.
1: Whoever wants to be famous who has some sort of wound that they're trying to make up for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I'm like, you want to talk to the person that can actually put up with them that's like behind the scenes. You know, so that's like my always my joke, uh, yeah. but you now it's like uh, that's like my friend uh, Ryan Holiday who lives over in yeah, yeah. Bastrop. Um, you know, his wife Sam is the real, as she says, she says one of us is a stoic and the other one writes <laughs> about stoicism. <laughs> you know it's like dead on like like i mean i think that's that's like true yeah. in our family it's like one of us is truly creative and interesting and the other one writes about creativity <laughs> being interesting so you know but it's like so this is like but yeah as far as community i have to say if um a midlife crisis of mine that's been the best midlife crisis i turned 40 this year is i have a bike gang so yeah. i have a group of dudes who we uh our, our sensei master splinter in our group had an accident, so he hasn't been riding lately. So the group's kind of like we're 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 trying to piece together things. But that has been the great uh one of the great blessings of the past year and a half for me is I started yeah. riding a bike and I have a little bike gang.
0: And by bike gang, you're not talking huge Harley Davidson's, you're talking about
1: bikes no, with gears dorks and, on bicycles. Yeah,
0: exactly. Don't yes. Helmeted
1: yeah. uh not i don't personally i try to avoid the spandex the mammal, i'm very middle-aged punk. man and like i'm huh? like i'm very um i i like i have like a kind of a punk approach to bike riding i don't like a lot of fancy gear yeah um but i do like yeah i mean i look like a biker when i'm on like so <laughs> let, let's not let's be clear like yeah but no that's been the great and i think that like I'm always like the older I get, I'm in search of those kind of convivial activities, yeah. what I, Illich would call like convivial technologies in which like, oh, you know, you phrase. feel more like, yeah, mm-hmm. like the bicycle really puts you in the world in a way that's like fundamentally human. Yeah. Um I love everything about being on a bicycle. I love the it's it's in between walking and driving. Yeah. It's the same perspective of walking. It's just you can cover large grounds. You can stop easily. It's very dangerous. I mean, that's right. something that should be put out there. But when you show up on a bike somewhere and there are other people that showed up on a bike, you like instantly have a connection. I just I love everything about riding a bicycle. I don't. That's and, so good. And, And it's funny because when I was a kid, I loved bicycles, but I didn't have anywhere to ride because I like lived on a country road and like I would have got squashed. Um, So like, uh, yeah, so that's been so that's like a real community. I think one thing and this might sound kind of weird because it's not like I'm a famous person, but um, once you start like. Once you're out in the world, like yeah. it's very like you want to meet people. It's fun to meet fans for sure. Yeah. But it's also really fun to be anonymous yeah, and totally to meet people yeah. on their own. Like yeah. to meet people in your neighborhood. Yeah. Um like a couple of my friends don't care at all what I do. <laughs> and I love <laughs> that, you yeah. know like i don't i don't want you know i like being just having those relationships those normal relationships in the world like i cherish that stuff because so much of my other life is like you know yes i feel very much like a member of the community but i'm obviously the ringleader you know so it's like i'm i mean it's gathered around me yeah you have have a way
0: of um when you play that role you can it just warps time and space a little bit because you have a heavy, yes. heavy gravity compared to other people. I like people. that. Yeah, um, there's a whereas mass. In other, in other communities, you just have, uh, you have the same mass as everybody yes, else. You're sort
1: yeah. of, a, yeah, you could be more of a node in a network, whereas yeah, like exactly. in that community, I'm kind of the central node yeah. around which everyone kind of gathers. So it's just a different like structure so yeah i don't know i mean like i'll be honest like and and this is what's interesting about what i'm going to read later is i consider linda berry whose book i'm going to read later um she's one of my great teachers Mm. and yet we only met for about two hours one time (laughs) and um one of the things i wrote about in steal like an artist was I said, you know, the great thing about dead masters is they can't refuse you as a student. <laughs> and I have recently realized it's true of people who are around too. In fact, it's true of everyone. You can make right. everyone your, your teacher. Right. And that's something I've, that's an evolution in my own thinking is that anyone can be a teacher. And so Linda for, you know, I don't know how she would feel about it, but she is, to me, I, I consider her my great teacher. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, I'm always joking, like, yeah, she probably wishes she'd been mean to me. Um, but, um, well, yeah. well, let's,
0: go, let's go to, let's go to the, your, your two pages. Um, yeah. we're talking about Linda Barry, who is one of the great cartoonists. I have a bunch, I think I have what it is on my shelf, just around the corner here, but how did you first meet her and her work?
1: Well, let me set the stage. So in 2006, um, my wife is from Cleveland, Ohio, mm-hmm. um, and that's where we moved after college. Uh, we decided to move to Cleveland for a couple of years, have jobs. This was in the aughts, early aughts, where like you can get an apart- a nice apartment in Cleveland for like, yeah. I don't know, 800 bucks, 700, like in the middle of everything, you know, just a nice Uh, It was that kind of dream of, you know, rent was fairly cheap, and you could have a nice place in the middle of everything. And Cleveland was at your fingertips. (laughs) Um, And I lived, my thing in Cleveland was I went to every single author reading event I could. And there was this great bookstore around the corner from my apartment called Maxbacks. Oh, cool. That's still there. It's in Coventry in Cleveland um, up the hill from Little Italy and down the hill is Little Italy and like the museum district in Cleveland. Um, And I would just go to like anybody who was at Max Bax, I would go down to the basement. And one of the writers who read one night was this guy named Dan Sean. And I drew him and Kelly Link was there, which was amazing. And um, and I drew them and I blogged about them. And this is when not that many people, I mean, this is pre social media. It's 2006. Right. And like people had Google alerts on their names. And, uh, and Dan sent me a very nice email. And he said, you made me look like a Linda Berry character. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, who's Linda Berry?" And he kind of like, you know, I, yeah. uh, he said, well, why don't we, I think we met up for coffee. Cause at the time he was, he was very kind to me. I I'm surprised how kind he was to me, but. Um, he was doing a graphic novel class at Oberlin and mm-hmm. I was in charge of the graphic novel section at, at the, um, um, the library. The library that yeah. I worked at, uh, the Cleveland um, C- Cuyahoga County system. Um, and I worked in a, a, a regional branch. And I think he wanted to pick my brain about like how you should teach the graphic novel class. Because this is like, I mean, this is 20 years, this is almost 20 years ago when graphic novels just were still like, yeah,
0: you know. a weird, a weird. Yeah, they little little weren't the industry. Some, some yeah. yeah.
1: Like yeah. now my kids, anyway, that's neither here or there. But like the, if you're like a 13 year old that likes to read graphic novels, like, holy crap. Like, yeah. life is a lot different than it was you know in the 90s <laughs> yeah. um but um you tell like, that to young people today. they right? don't care <laughs> these young people i don't know how good anyway um so dan took me out and we had coffee and he said look you need to meet linda barrett like you need to come she's come to oberland you need to come out and see her read i said okay cool like <laughs> all right so we drove out to overland overland's like 40 minutes from cleveland right um you know like lena dunham went to overland to give you an idea of like who goes yep. to overland it's a good school it's it's very expensive <laughs> um, <laughs> but dan ran ran the creative writing program there and uh and i it's in a chemistry lab and linda comes in and anyone who's met Linda, she jokes about this too. She has this magical hippie vibe, <laughs> <This> <laughs> magical hippie vibe. She comes in, she's got these cowboy boots on. She takes her cowboy boots off <laughs> and she stands up. And by now people kind of know, like, you know, at the time Linda was like an alternative cartoon. Like people have yeah. been reading Ernie Pook's comic in, in like the alternative papers for like 30 years, but she wasn't the like, teacher that she is now she was like doing workshops and stuff but like she was more yeah. like she wasn't known as a teacher as much right. at the time and she took her shoes off and she sang she said when i get nervous i sing so i'm gonna sing and she like sang <laughs> this song and you, just, you know you just you like immediately fall in love with of this one. you know it's yeah. just like this magical experience <laughs> so then she reads from her novel cruddy which right. is just like it's um to try to explain it to people it's like uh it's a it's like a murderous it's this girl who goes on this like murderous road trip with her father it's one of the darkest it's extremely dark (laughs) it's you know and it's illustrated and it's just like it starts once upon a time in a cruddy place and a cruddy street you know and she just starts reading and um if you go on my website and type Linda Berry Oberlin you can see a drawing I actually did of this. Oh, fantastic. Time. Yeah. Um I remember the sim- like I think the I knew I think the pervert nerd the the, <laughs> the the little like that's how I was taught the little like you know math diagrams were on the the right chalkboard behind her and she's reading from this book. So anyway, I'm just stunned. I mean, you know, this is a person that for the first time I really felt like well, here's a person who puts pictures and words together in a way right. that I just get. I get this woman. I, I, and I want what she's got. Yeah, you, know, you get that greedy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you get greed. You know, when you're in the presence of someone like that, you want what they have oh. really bad. You know, it just
0: sends chills down my spine because I've had yeah. one or two moments, different contexts, different people, where yeah. I've just gone, oh,
1: that's you, it. You've just right? shown me
0: a doorway to a secret room that yeah that's the room i've been looking for i just didn't even i I didn't even really know i was looking for it but i've just i've seen it now and and it changes everything
1: and let me stop and say i am in no way um unique you can talk to several people who they've gone to a linda berry workshop or whatever and she's had this effect on them it's just she's magnetic she's a genius um she is um And I'm actually one of those people who said she should get a MacArthur grant for years and years and years. And then she got one. And I was like, all right. Um, So we go to the bar after uh, Dan says, do you want to come to the bar with us? I was like, are you? Yes. (laughs) Yes.
0: You should touch the hem of the So You
1: know, I sat at the bar with like Dan and there was another um, student, couple of students there. And one of the students I think knew of my blog and that might've been why I was, but I just was like, just listen to her Mm. and my wife and i were getting married and i remember her saying oh you're getting married. i love being married and you know she talked about kevin her husband a little bit she was just so you know just so incredibly supportive and i swear to you i mean i've run my career off of the fumes of that just (sighs) that encounter just that that was one of those just absolute just like change life one of those life-changing things I'll say that, and uh, and then like my wife and I went to Manhattan on our honeymoon, and I saw a Saul Steinberg show, mm. and I was reading a lot of Vonnegut at the time, right? And those that th- those three—Saul Steinberg and Linda Berry and Kurt Vonnegut—and the way they think about pictures and words and their like whole deal, yeah, just like formed for me like that <laughs> yeah. uh, that's what i wanted you know whether it's like, my work reflects uh, it's like matter.
0: plutonium in an engine it's yeah, like, it's this, like this, just, will, this will run just the forever yeah, yeah yeah it's yeah, just yeah. like
1: a, a catalyst they were catalysts yeah. you know and um i'll just you know just changed my life and that is so so to come to what it is yeah. now um what it is i think came out in 2008 yeah so linda would have been working on this book um yeah first edition may 2008 so i met her in 2006 kind of towards the end of 2006 so i immediately found everything i could get my hands on of hers right. and um this is a book that i I was like a music fan. Like you remember when you were like, this was more true in the inner, in the pre-internet age where you would follow a band and you would read every single man, like every single magazine article you could find. You'd, you'd pick up like an EP that they might release or something. You'd be like waiting for this new album. So this was (laughs) really interesting. And I, I couldn't, I didn't have time to grab them to show them to you, but Tin House, the the literary magazine, had a graphic issue right. where they published the first pages from this, and right. I like have that in my archive. <laughs> um, Th- Drawn in Quarterly, which is just one of my yeah, yeah. favorites, Who publishes Agreed. this? Um, yeah. Who, you know, they deserve a lot of credit, by the way, uh, as a publisher who is willing to publish Linda's books in in the way that they are. Right, and uh, they have been. They are a wonderful publisher and they, they deserve a lot. The editorial there deserves a lot of, yeah, uh, a, a big, yeah. For, for, for the way they've gone. And then for free comic book day, there's a little activity book that was in the back of this oh, that they published. Great. So I have that too. So it was like just this yeah, thing that led up.
0: And, yeah. yeah.
1: And when I got what it is, um, it just was like anybody who's opened this book, I can describe it to you. A lot of it's done on, um, yeah. A lot of it's done on legal paper. That's her, like,
0: That's one of his signature. Yeah.
1: And a lot of it is drawn with a brush. Um, Japanese sumi ink, like that dark, yeah. like an ink stick and uh, yeah. um, that real dark ink uh, by hand. And a lot of it's colored in like watercolor. I mean, it's, it's like a William Blake manuscript, really. That's a perfect way of describing that.
0: That is totally Blake. I mean, you're very Blake people listening. You're, you're flicking through the pages and showing us and it's got that dark energy of a Blake picture. It
1: does. And she's tapped in, in a way that, I mean, I think Linda would tell you that there's an image world and she's able to tap into it. Um, so, you know, this book just, uh, (sighs) and I love, I ripped this off, uh, and still like an artist she has all of her index cards on the end papers. That's she has true. all her index cards from her workshops. That's pretty nice. So that's when you look in the back of steel, like a nurse and you see all the index cards, that's where that's stolen from.
0: Yeah. I love your, um, I've seen it on your blog as well, where you kind of show the making, you know, you're showing your work in terms of building your books and you're showing all the cards you have and how you work through those.
1: So another book of Linda's that I should have had nearby. It's on my, I have a Linda Berry shelf in the living room. (laughs) It's like a, you know, uh, but um, there's another book of hers called 100 demons, which is a series of comic strips. She drew for salon, I think using the Sumi brush. And um, she, uh, so that, that book has a, you can do this too. Part in it, in the back, like here's the brush you get. Here's the grindstone. Here's the ink. Here's what kind of paper you should use. Here's how to do it. Here's how to paint your own demons. That was hugely influential on me because I thought, oh my god, this person's doing these brilliant cartoons, but then she's saying to the reader, you can do this too. Right. Right. I was always, I was super inspired by that early in my career. Um, That's in newspaper blackout because the end of newspaper blackout was like, here's how you make a newspaper blackout poem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that's. The heart of... That's also another thing I stole from her is this idea that if my work is good, it should make you want to make things. Right. Um. So, yeah. So that that's sort of the run-up to what it that's is. That's a great run.
0: And how did you come to pick the two pages? Because clearly, you could have picked any two of... I don't know, hundreds of pages, but you've narrowed yeah. down just two. What so have you chosen for us?
1: I'm going to read um two pages <laughs> you'd think i would have actually put the bookmark in here oh here it is actually okay yeah so i'm gonna read a a section of the book that could almost be a standalone essay it's called mm. two questions
0: Perfect.
1: um and it's actually even in a different style than a lot of the book it's de- i think it's probably done with like uniball pen yep and it's more like black and white it has a lot of cross hatching a lot of um a lot of, uh, like, it's got um, watercolor, but it's only like two colors. It's it's actually pretty restrained compared to the rest of the book. Right. Um, there's a little less collage. It's a lot more drawing. Um, and it's this beautiful story of how Linda kind of tapped into this way of drawing that we know as children and yeah. we lose. Right. And so that's what two questions is about.
0: Perfect. Austin, the stage is yours.
1: Well, I want to, I'm going to describe a little bit of what the page looks like. I'm going to read two pages. This page has a cartoon of Linda and she's at a desk and there's a giant cephalopod (laughs) next to her (laughs) and she's struggling. Yeah, she's struggling with her. um, She's struggling with her, her art and in big letters at the top is two questions. is this good? Does this suck? I'm not sure when these two questions became the only two questions I had about my work, or when making pictures and stories turned into something I called my work. I just know I'd stopped enjoying it, and instead began to dread it. Before the two questions, pictures and stories happened in a way that didn't involve much thinking. One line led to another, until they somehow finished i never felt like i was trying and the drawing itself didn't matter too much to me afterward but the two questions find everybody (laughs) and and uh linda is drawing herself as a as a young girl drawing on here and there are ghosts and they're saying show me show me where is she let's see that picture story and there's cats and all kinds of animals. Linda loves drawing animals. She says when she's nervous or frightened or worn out, she loves drawing pictures of animals. And, right. um, and so, yeah, that's the, those are, now it's a graphic, you know, it's a, yeah. it's a graphic piece. So there aren't many words, but to me, yeah. um, the two questions, is this good? Does this suck? Um, Everybody, that's what, you know, there's a point at which drawing is this kind of automatic thing. And I've, one of the real gifts that Linda's given me, um, too, is that she does this thing at Wisconsin. She's like a chaired professor at Wisconsin now and like their interdisciplinary art program. I, I might be making that up. Um, but, <laughs> She's uh, just got a promotion. She doesn't yeah, even realize um, yet. So uh, she does this thing where she puts PhD students together with four year olds. Nice. And the PhD student describes the problem to the four year old and then they draw together. And she says that it always just blows these <laughs> PhD students' minds because they're so uptight and they're so in their work and they're yeah. so in that world of big words like we talked about earlier. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and um and the four-year-olds just blow their mind and and I've had a couple of four-year-olds now, and they will get you unstuck in a way spending a little bit of time with a four-year-old mm. will get creative people unstuck in this beautiful way. Um, because they just are tapped into that same image world um that we all tap into in early age where everything's kind of psychedelic nothing really has names yet and there's no fear there's absolutely no self-consciousness your frontal lobes haven't really developed yet so you're not really like conscious of being you're not self-conscious you're not like worried about that much you know you're you do things with a kind of authority and yeah. you now so when I used to watch my son's draw when they were four I mean it was like watching Picasso it, <laughs> it really was like watching one yeah. of those Picasso if you watch Picasso draw he just has it, this it's elegant yeah. This, kind of draw- yeah just these yeah. elegant you know just sureridness you yeah. know my son would would literally sit there and he'd scribble out a drawing and he'd look at it. And he'd literally toss it over his shoulder, like it's just it's like, like kind of like I'm just, done,
0: no pressure. Oh, so I'm like, well, that's I'm over. Whatever the next
1: thing is, yeah. Yeah, he would do this yeah. drawing, and he'd look at and and I was primed to recognize this because this is the kind of stuff that Linda talked about. Yeah. there are no questions. There's no two questions. Yeah. There's just the experience of making the thing, ah, and then the next experience. Austin, so, how do
0: you <laughs> how do you navigate that when you have you know, tens of thousands of people who wait for your next thing on a <laughs> weekly basis. Right.
1: Well, you have to um, you have to find that place for, for yourself in which you just cultivate this spirit in which you're just having an experience with the page. Right. And that's what Linda says. You come to the page to have an experience. You don't come to the page to get a finished drawing. Right. And it's amazing how many of my friends still they can't do this. Like yeah. I was talking to my friend, Wendy McNaughton and she's, you know, she's a brilliant artist. She's like, well, she works with, you know, she works with kids drawing and she still says that when she sits down and draw, she's always thinking in the back of her head, you yeah, know, I'm going to sell this or, I'm gonna put this on, or whatever, <laughs> right. you know, it's still there. Yeah. But for me, it's like, I just have to zone out enough. I just have to get into the work enough that, that it's just, you know, just like kind of, I'm not thinking about sharing the thing while I'm making it. Yeah. Um, what you're really trying to do is you, you, you get that. Those two questions are the editor voice. Right. And what you have to do is you have to silence that. So much of creative books are about this. You yeah. just have to silence that editor voice long enough to be bad and to be totally in the moment and to just let whatever comes, come. Mm. Um, I have been helped recently by, I've read some really good books on improv and music. Right. Um, one book I read is called Effortless Mastery by this guy named Kenny Warner. <laughs> and he has this way of talking about practicing the piano. I'm a, I'm a pianist um, too. So like I, that's, that's the instrument I'm actually trained on. Um, and we could go into long winded discussions of how the piano keys and the typewriter are very similar and, Blah, blah, blah. But the thing is, is that Kenny has a way of talking about practicing where you're silencing that critic too, even when you're practicing. You're just trying to be there with the notes. And you're just trying to let the notes come that want to come. And then when there's a wrong note, you either try to accept it. Or if you get thrown out, you stop and you pick your hands up. So he has this beautiful way of being present. It's all about being present. It's very zen. You know, it's Mm -hmm. very like... It's it's very much like what we're all trying to what we all can't do anymore, which is like just be in an experience. But there's something about the brush, and this is what what Linda taught me. There's something about drawing with a brush that it's just this kind of magical thing. So that's what I do my diary with. Um, Yeah, and I literally use a Pentel pocket brush pen to do my diary, and there's just something about that flow of ink and just inkiness i think there's i think it's really interesting that linda loves to draw cephalopods and octopuses because like they ink ink producing creatures yeah yeah yeah. and they're the most if you read about the octopus it's the thing on the evolutionary chain that's the furthest from us oh so they're the weirdest so interesting there's a lot i don't know if linda i know i know she's aware of all this but the cephalopod and i have a original drawing of a cephalopod that linda did that i have in my house um they have brains in their tentacles that's right (laughs) so their nervous system extends their tentacles actually do it like thinking like they don't have like a they their nervous system isn't the same as ours where um there's like In our nervous system, it's like the brain and the spine is the primary. Yeah. And then the secondary is all the limbs and stuff.
0: Have you read the um, Ed Yong book on animal senses?
1: I'm reading it right now. Oh, my God. I've been reading it all year. It's taken me all freaking year (laughs) to read that book because it's like, it's so brilliant, but it's It's, so dense. Exactly. Just like chewing on all this stuff. There's a video of him talking about the book that I actually think is like, I want this on Netflix, like please Netflix, <laughs> I right. like do it. But yeah. So thinking about the sensory, that was the major other lesson that Linda taught me is mm. she, she has a phrase. She says in the digital age, don't forget to use your digits. She really right. believes in the power of the hand. And that's right. in steel, like an artist, use your hands. And this, this idea that the hands tell us when we're working as artists or, musicians or whatever the body tells the brain as much as the brain Mm -hmm. tells the body. Mm -hmm. And if you're just making your art like this, like it's not going to work. Like you need to bring your whole, as much as you can bring your whole body into the experience. That's why like with so many writers, um, they need like, that's why the question, do you use a pencil and paper or you use a typewriter or whatever? It's actually a very important question. It seems very, um, It seems very like eh, some amateur hour Q&A <laughs> session, but it's like really interesting and important. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. matter. Like it doesn't mean what quality. It just means like the quality of the work. Accessing,
0: so, accessing so yeah. a greater range of capacity to create through yeah. the ritual of the materials that you use.
1: Right. So I think like, you know, for me, it is um, it is a lot about the ma- getting into that spirit of where the editors like mm. over here, a lot of that is about the proper uh, time, space, and materials. You set up a, a situation in which you have ample, you have a set amount of time, and you come to a space that's kind of comforting or, or private in which you can make mistakes. Yeah. And then you use materials that just sing to you. Yeah. That's kind of the magic formula, time, space, and materials. And then when you're working, <laughs> there's another triad which is the head heart and the hands particularly with drawing um there needs to be a dance between what you see and what you can see in your head and whatever and what's happening on the page and the spirit in which you're doing the work and very rarely but on occasion all those things are activated together (laughs) and that's when the really good work is but do,
0: um, you, <laughs> do you do you pursue mastery? Do you pursue success, no. or do you just be present and try and summon those two triads? Because if you find a way yeah. of having those t- those two triads, you know something magical is going to come through.
1: I'm anti-mastery because, in my experience, the minute you think you know what you're doing, <laughs> the work has died. Right. So I'm kind of like. Uh, I'm just interested in a fresh one, you know, Einstein supposedly said, I think it was Einstein. I don't know what, who cares who said it, but like the insanity is doing the same thing over yeah. and over again and expecting speaking, different results. Yeah. It's also called writing. <laughs> it's also <laughs> called, uh, you know, playing music. It's, it's that it's yeah. actually, that's actually the deal is doing You're the right. same thing over and over and expecting different results. It's coming to that blank page every time and just having the guts to sit. I think about the guts a lot, actually, because we actually have a lot of neurons in our guts. Yeah, yeah. Um, Our guts talk. There's a there's a thing called the brain gut axis. That's right. I'm really into. Um, But like having the guts to sit and be uncertain. That's why with comedy, something we didn't talk about is the fool. The kind right. of holy fool figure. The fool in like a tarot deck is the symbol of zero. It's a fresh start. It's a mm-hmm. new beginning, blank slate. The fool is not, does not have preconceived notions. Right. Like, it's the beginner's mind that Suzuki talks about. Um, it's what kids have that yeah. be- beginner's yeah. mind. Um, you're trying to get that when you're at the page, but what you're trying to do is you're trying to merge that beginner's mind attitude it's a spirit with the technical skills you've learned. The right. So that's the mastery, right? That's like the, the repetition of the drawing. Like I, yeah. you know, so you're trying to like merge that childlike. what children, it's funny. Like when you're dealing with kids, kids have everything that you don't have that you wish you still did. And you <laughs> have everything they want to. Yeah. So it's this yeah. thing where you're looking at your kids. I, I particularly felt this when they were five, four or five, I was like, you have everything I want <laughs> and yet you want to be a big kid, yeah. but you have everything I want in this little, if I could just have your spirit and your attitude and my technique, yeah. like, you know, something I think, could really it, happen. Doesn't Picasso
0: here. say something about, I took a lifetime to learn to draw like a child again.
1: Yeah and, yeah. and lots of artists have, and yeah. you're really getting to, so you're, you're, you're kind of sussing out what my next book is, you know, <laughs> is like what right. I've been desperately trying for the half decade to do yeah. is there's, I think there's a, um, what I've told people is children can just teach us way more than we can teach them. Mm-hmm. We get them for this very brief period in which they are kind of these raw scientist artists types yeah. And if we put them in the right positions, yeah. if we put them in the right environment, they can teach us just like wondrous things. Yeah. But usually what we do is we put them in like a kind of shitty pre-adult like school environment. Yeah. You know, which is like the opposite of like what 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 is really it's that where that uptightness begins in our lives, you know. And um so yeah, I'm just like but you know, it's been like profound for me like being uh what i really wanted to do what i really want to do is just have a book that i can give you that's like um bottled energy of what it was like to watch my four-year-old draw Mm. i just i'm trying to figure out like in a book form like how can i like give you how can you like open the book and get the whiff of the fumes of that experience like what the energy the magic also the misery and the mayhem yeah. of that moment because like one of the things i realized with my kids is like people talk about child's play and when i would watch my kids draw i mean they would really struggle sometimes i mean there'd be like a real tension yeah. and like a you know the and they get frustrated it, yeah. and stuff i mean they really were they're just such like my guys were little cavemen you know like carving <laughs> on the wall it was like so cool to watch you know yeah um and I have, I have boys i don't i didn't get a daughter unfortunately <laughs> but um i i always i was wanted one but um yeah so they're just like these little me cave <laughs> <laughs> well, but um yeah so i'm just trying to like uh i think that's what we all like i really think that that uh, you know, Picasso also said that, you know, all children are artists. The problem is just how do you remain one when you grow right. up? And that's, right. you know, an epigraph if I ever heard one. It's like, what are the great... What I want to position is not that I think people should have kids because I don't think they should. Right, <laughs> but That's another thing about me is I'm yeah. I, I'm a I'm a very agnostic about parenting. But I do think that being around young people... Yeah. especially really little ones gets us back to that kind of it's a chance for us to kind of reconnect with that right five-year-old in us that still yeah. resides because i know mine's still in there he's still <laughs> like he's still scribbling with crayons on his yeah. mom's kitchen table you know Austin, like.
0: what's um, <laughs> how do you or, or do you experience boredom And is it useful or is it not really something that crosses your, crosses your work table?
1: Oh uh, yeah. I get terribly bored. Um, particularly with reading. I have trouble with, uh, you know, and I get bored with my work too. I think boredom is just a, it's like pain. It's just a signal that something is wrong or something's like not right. I think it's a great springboard. Right. Um, I think that it's usually a, it's, You know, there's a couple of things. Like, it's it's powerful in different ways. For one one thing, when you can, if you can be real with yourself and say I'm bored with this, then you can like really say, okay, well, what what do I do now? What's (laughs) playful? You know, what's whatever. But the other thing you can do is you can bore yourself into working, and that's really powerful. That's more powerful. You know, there's existential boredom, which isn't, which is like upsetting and. Actually, leads to less work. You know, you have to right. really Let's fight with more that. Angry. Yeah. But there's cultivated boredom. <laughs> right. Which is, I'm going to sit at this table or I'm going to yeah. sit on this airplane chair and I'm not yeah. going to have a phone or a Wi Fi or right. whatever. And I can either sit here or stare at the wall yeah. or I can make something. Right. It always works. <laughs> like always an airplane works. seat. Yeah. If I have my notebook yeah. and I'm on an airplane and I haven't and there's no Wi Fi. Yeah, no, no. There's always, 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 I will get good stuff. And another right. thing I love to be, do on an airplane, which I don't understand what it is about airplanes. I think it's just that you're like <sighs> in this and you don't want to like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. just, you know, you're like in the seat, you're, you're buckled in. A,
0: you're in like a three you're, by three by six foot know, box and you're, and you're like, like I,
1: yeah. I. Yeah, I, I think there's something about like, well, I might as well go within. Yeah. <laughs> like I might as well, like I'm, I'm literally trying to crawl inside myself. Yeah. My, you know, small, and so- my
0: small team is terrified every time I get on a plane because right. I come back going, I've had some ideas, and they're like, of course you have.
1: <laughs> yeah, of course you have. You've been on an airplane. I yeah. find that it doesn't even – I don't even need the airplane ride. As far as yeah. clarity goes, I just need the plane to take off, and the minute the plane takes off, I know how to do everything – right that i left behind i know what whatever the problem was behind yeah. has been thrown into relief my my big um my big thing about travel is um it's wordplay but i think it works is that travel doesn't relieve your problems it right. throws them into relief as in right. whatever your problem is when you travel you figure it out like yeah. you kind of get clarity on the problem at least and that's what works for me but that that cultivated boredom I find really helpful. The the existential boredom is just really difficult. That's like, how many more newsletters can I do? Yeah. But yeah. I love the blank page of the newsletter. I love the deadline. I yeah. love Thursday. Monday and Thursday are my best days around here. And my, my right. Meg would tell you that. Yeah. Because Monday is like, I got nothing on the calendar. This is the great privilege of my life, right? Yeah. Is that this is the work. So like Monday, I've got nothing on the calendar the whole point of the day is you gotta have something good for these people right you got to have something good for your crew you got to bring something and what's bothering you what's around sometimes yeah. it's like what are your cool images like right. I built whole newsletters just off of we images have. right yeah. well, I want to use this image what what goes next to
0: it where do I go from here yeah you know
1: and then Thursday is like oh Thursday is like the best day ever because <laughs> it's like I get to just talk about, anything other than my, like, I get to point out words. Yeah. You're like, here
0: are are the 10 things. Here's the
1: 10 things. And it's so, it's like the 10 commandments. What should go on there? (laughs) Everyone asks me like, why are you listed 10? I'm like, wow, it worked for Moses. Who (laughs) cares? (laughs) No, but it's like, you know, those are the, my favorite days actually. Friday is really difficult for me. And everyone's like, Friday's difficult for me. Like, yeah, I've sent this thing out. And like, and sometimes people are angry. You know, sometimes it says something they're mad about or, or I don't know. There's just like a letdown on Friday. So I have to really be careful about Fridays and Tuesday. Tuesday is usually date day. My wife and I usually do something fun. I'll go in the studio and stuff. But, but those are like my best days. Nice. And that's been a real revelation to me too, is that I love to work. Like I like working. Yeah. And so much of my, I, you know, it's been five years since I did a book and I feel deeply Troubled by that, you know, like yeah. I, but I also, and I've started having dreams where I'm back at one of my old day jobs, and the dream is that they're going to find out that I haven't done anything this week. Like, <laughs> that's could the I, revealing. What could, I
0: possibly be what could about? that possibly be about? Right.
1: <laughs> but, um, one of the funny things about books and I is that sometimes I I hold books at arm's length because I'm like scared of doing them and I'm yeah. like, Ugh, I'd rather do anything other than write a book. But if I kind of wait long enough, all this space junk kind of orbits me long enough that it like yeah. smashes into each other, totally. and it totally. just like it suddenly becomes clear that it's like this is it, yeah. And it's like a big boulder in your path, and if you don't do it, it's just going to sit there like a blockage. You a know? metaphor
0: somebody gave me many years ago was: um, so it's like imagine this whole process is you swimming underwater. And the longer you can hold your breath, the more interesting a place it is that you pop up.
1: Oh, I like that. And
0: I just like that, um, that, that kind of the, your lungs straining at the ambiguity of it all. It's just like, I just want to, damn it. I just want to do something to kind of end this and and get something done, but you can just sit with it longer. You pop up somewhere a little further downstream and you've got a different perspective and you've traveled a bit further and you collected more stuff and you've got more wisdom. Yeah. Yeah
1: you've nailed it i mean that's the way i feel is it's just like you know what yeah. what whose time frame are you on Too yeah, like, like
0: it, it's stuff is ripening
1: yeah and it's, it's like, right why, why it's... would
0: you pluck the peach before it's ripe? yeah
1: i mean it's i love that like why yeah. uh, why you gotta let the fruit ripe you yeah. know ripen yeah. yeah that's really good and again that's another natural metaphor like yeah. the the you can think about churning out another book like a factory or you can think about like well is this crop in like have i cross pollinated the you know again it's okay. the gardening thing
0: now, austin obviously we i could keep talking to you for about another <laughs> seven hours but for the interest of my my, my listeners i'm going to ask you one final question which is what needs to be said that hasn't yet been said between you and me
1: uh um Oh, I, I like talking to you. I'm glad we're friends. <laughs> me I too. think. I really enjoyed when you came to the studio and Me too. Yeah.
0: Um
1: I'm uh, and we went to that great being yeah. dead show that's right. At End of an ear. Yeah. Um yeah, i had I I, a very
0: cool Austin moment for me. I, an Austin yeah. an Austin moment. Yeah.
1: I think I would just circle back to something that we talked about earlier, which is, you know, I remember years ago I had a South by Southwest panel that I put together. And I used to, in the early days, I would use that as a way to just hang out with people I wanted to hang out with. Right. And um, I had my friend Jessica Hagee was there, She's Maris brilliant. Kreitzman was there, Drew yeah. Dernovich, who's a New Yorker cartoonist. And we talked about captions and pictures and words. Mm. We were sitting at Franklin Barbecue, <laughs> back when you could get a table. And, um, and I looked around and I, I said to them, I said, what do you think the best thing is about what we do? And they were kind of like, oh, great. What's Austin <laughs> going to say? I was like, and I pointed around the table in the circle. I said, this, this yeah. is the best thing. This was my dream. When I was just a kid in the cornfield, right. I just wanted to meet people who cared about the same things that I did. And I got him.
0: Voila. <laughs> Amazing.
1: You know? And that's that's what I would say. It's just like, you know. And I also think that I'm very jealous of you for having like a podcast because I think this is such a wonderful format, and it's such a nice way to have friends.
0: I couldn't be happier that this was the interview that kicked off our rebooted two pages with MBS. You can probably tell I found the whole conversation an utter delight, and honestly, it could have probably been a four-hour epic. Do you remember Austin saying earlier on, I try to approach things more like a gardener, with a light comedic spirit. I want to remember that. One of my life rules, here harking back to that intro, comes from a Rilke poem, "A Man Watching, and these lines in particular, his growth is to be the deeply defeated by ever greater things. I mean, I love that, to be deeply defeated by ever greater things. But also, honestly, it does nudge me a little towards capital S serious. A little tragic about it, you know, the tortured hero. Now I'm seeing the power of combining Gardner and Lightness from Austin, plus my real commandra. Hold it lightly, Michael. Be in the mess. Have some fun. Now you'll find Austin at austincleon.com, and you know with his socials connected to all of that. But I'd really encourage you to subscribe to his newsletter, which is fabulous. Um, his books you'll find in all the usual places and if you enjoyed my conversation with austin and if you're listening to this i know that you did then let me recommend two earlier interviews with two brilliant women who both happen to be called jessica number 38 is called how to keep creating with jessica Hagee. now jessica's illustrations have been favorites of mine for about 15 years i think and in fact i've hired her to illustrate a journal i'm publishing in 2025 and Jessica reads from a fabulous true tale, A Stranger in the Woods, The Extraordinary Story of the Last True Hermit by Michael Finkel. Number 49 is How to Survive Being Creative with Jessica Abel, another wonderful illustrator. She read from a book that was new to me, How to Write an Autobiographical Novel, Essays by Alexander Chi. Also a really rich conversation. Now, you can support the podcast by signing up for the Substack newsletter, joining as a paid member if you'd like the cool bonuses, recommending episodes you love to people you like, and leaving a review if you're so moved. Doing one of those things would be lovely. Doing more than one would be thoroughly delightful. And as I love to say, you're awesome and you're doing great.